Yes, thank you. <laughs> Great. It's lovely to be speaking to you this morning. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, last week we had a bit of a vision Sunday, so um, shared that vision, um, as I mentioned a moment ago, to be Kingdom Light in Sydney and Forest Hill. And there were three kind of main areas, specific areas we want to develop this year, um, our sung worship, our families ministry, and also compassion ministries as well. Um, and I mentioned a few things that we're doing um, to kind of resource those areas. So thank you so much for those who um, uh, filled out those pledge forms and um, got behind the vision through that giving. And um, as I said, if you haven't already, please do be thinking and praying about that. But we're really excited for that. We're going to have a vision launch Sunday on the 23rd of April when it'll be kind of like a commissioning service and we can really see um, those ministries go ahead and we can pray for that. And then next week we're going to start a new series in John's Gospel. So this is kind of like a one-off. And this morning I wanted to speak under the heading Finding Peace in an Anxious World because I thought that might be kind of relevant for a few people, right? Finding Peace in an anxious world. And I think that God's heart for so many of us as we journey with him is that more and more we would learn to live in a way that is easy and light. Whatever might be going on in our worlds or the world, that actually we might be able to walk through life in a way that's easy and light. Psalm 18 verse 19, one of my favorite verses says this, he brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. And, um, of course, God's peace is, is one of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that's been beautiful this year as we've uh, delved deeper into the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to see more and more people visibly kind of show God's peace in their lives, whatever might be going on. I know that there are many people here going through a difficult time at the moment. But actually, one of the things I get to see is God's peace at work in your life. And that's a beautiful thing. And often when people come into this space, they say one of the things that they feel is God's peace. But it's fair to say that we live in a bit of a stressed out world, don't we? Uh, there are big things that stress us out and there are small things that stress us out that then become the big thing. What I mean. So, driving in London, I don't know about you, but driving in London is something that I find a little bit stressful from time to time. Maybe you've been in that situation where you've gone down a road, cars parked either side, and you've kind of got a match up with another car. There's only one uh, room for one car to go through. What's it going to be? What's going to happen? And normally, the person who's most in a rush uh, tends to have to reverse back and uh, let the other person go, because you think, if no one does that, we're not going to get anywhere, a kind of a stalemate. And as you reverse back, you can kind of feel the sweat in your palms getting greater, your heart race is going up, you're trying to keep your language clean if you've got children in the back, and uh, anger and stress can easily erupt. And actually, often those little things, those moments of eruption, whether it's swearing in the car or losing our rag with our kids or whatever it might be, aren't really the little thing. It's everything else going on in our life. And it's just like that's the match that lets it off, right? So actually, we might be uh, getting angry at this car, but really we're stressed about work or we're stressed about something in our relationship. And the little things become the big things. I wonder if that resonates with anyone. 
I was chatting with a friend recently who works in support services for university students, and she was just sharing how the demands on um, support for mental health has just increased incredibly over the last few years. But we know it's not just students who are struggling with mental health or young people, um, but the, the, it's affecting all of us as we look at the number of GP prescriptions for things like anxiety and depression, the rise in popularity of meditation and mindfulness over the last few years is another indication that our anxiety and stress levels are going up as a population. Uh, apps, websites, books, are helping people with the impact of anxiety are popular like never before. Uh, the anxiety industry is a lucrative anxiety to be in. One study done over the last decade from 2008 to 2020 looked at the number of diagnosis of anxiety given by GPs and it published its findings in the Guardian newspaper and described the rise of anxiety in this way as an explosion over the last decade, the rise of anxiety in our culture as an explosion. The article said this, there's been an explosion in anxiety in Britain over the past decade with a financial crash, austerity, Brexit and climate change and social media blamed for the massive rise in the condition. Now, this was 2020, so you add on to that the last few years, a global pandemic, the cost of living crisis, a climate crisis, and anything else. No wonder we might feel a little bit stressed out. And I think it means that even to live in the culture that we live in, the waters in which we swim are waters of anxiety. And it can be that actually we just develop a kind of low-grade anxiety in life that perhaps isn't about anything in particular, uh, Claire Foy, the actress, uh, maybe well not best known for playing the Queen in the Crown Netflix series, described her anxiety in this way. When you have anxiety, you have anxiety about anything, even crossing the road. The thing is, it might not be related to anything that would seem logical. It's just purely a feeling in the pit of your stomach and the feeling that you can't because you're this or because you're that. It's your mind working a thousand pizza beats per second and your thoughts running away and of course you might be here and you might be thinking well that's true but I've also got some big things going on in my life at the moment that are stressing me out maybe we think about do list at work maybe our father has cancer our marriage is falling apart our health is in a difficult place and into all this I want to bring these amazing words of Jesus from Matthew 11, verse 28. So if you've got a, a smartphone, can I encourage you to get that open in front of you? There's some Bibles at the back. Matthew 11, verse 28, a famous invitation of Jesus. who says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus was fully human. He knows us completely. He knows that sometimes circumstances in life just make things 
stressful. And actually, a little bit of stress can help us in life. You know, that deadline coming up can help us get ourselves together to get our work done. So I don't think Jesus is saying that we're never to be stressed, but I think he's saying that stress doesn't need to characterize our lives and that our dominant experience of life with him can be a life that feels easy and light. Doesn't that sound good? And one of the dangers, I think, of stress is not only that it's bad for our health, and we know uh, that to be true, doctors have been telling that for telling us that for, for years and years, but actually it stops us from developing in our faith. It kind of paralyzes us. In the parable of the sower that Jesus tells, the seed, the kernel of faith, the word of God that falls among thorns, Jesus describes as the worries of this life. And so our worries and anxieties can even choke our faith. So what does Jesus say? How can we step into this easy and light life that I believe God longs for each one of us? Well, there's two kind of images that I want to bring. And the first is the image Jesus uses of a yoke. Now, uh, in verse 29, he says, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is a yoke? What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's not talking about his eggs in the morning. Um, A yoke in first century Palestine referred to two things. Uh, Firstly, a yoke was a wooden collar that ran across the shoulders of a pair of oxen that enabled them to jointly pull enormous weights. So in an agricultural world, um, a yoke was a very common image. As a carpenter, Jesus would have made many yokes. You get a couple of oxen, you put this yoke on them, and then they can pull uh, a plow behind. They can begin to farm. And, of course, the important thing for the oxen is that it's comfortable. If it's uncomfortable, then it's going to be a pretty miserable experience. The other thing that a yoke referred to at Jesus' time was the collective teaching and way of life of a Jewish rabbi that he would pass on to his disciples. And you would call that their yoke. Uh, So as one pastor and author puts it, John Mark Comer says this, A yoke was a rabbi's way of reading the Torah, but more than that, it was his entire teaching on how to be human. His way to shoulder the at times crippling weight of life, marriage, divorce, prayer, money, sex, conflict resolution, the government, all of it. So it's a way of seeing and doing life that a rabbi would pass on to his students. And it was a kind of way of life that was both caught and taught. So as disciples would uh, move around with their rabbi, they weren't only listening to what the rabbi was saying, but they were watching what the rabbi was doing. And as the rabbi kind of um, inhibited and lived out this yoke, he then passed it on to his disciples. And as we look at Jesus, Jesus was someone who lived the most free life that has ever been lived. A life that was characterized by being easy and light. A life life full of peace and joy, despite all the stress around him. Despite that, for much of his ministry, people wanted to kill him. Despite the uncertainty or the um, challenges he knew that were coming in the future, Jesus was able to live easy and light. And as he gathered his disciples and he gathers us around, he wants us to live out that same easy and light life as well. 
a couple of years ago, or a number of years ago now, I uh, took a little trip to Berlin with a friend. It was a, a long weekend, and because we were students, we did the cheap thing, and we got a flight uh, overnight, and we arrived very early in the morning in Berlin. And we went to the youth hostel, and we realized our room wasn't quite ready, and we would have to pay to put our baggage in lockers. And because we were kind of cheap at that point, we decided not to. And so we ended up having to carry around this luggage. We had rucksacks and a bag, and we carried it around Berlin for the day. And it turned out to be a big, big mistake. We had coats on. It was the winter. And so we kind of got that winter sweats thing going on, if you know what that is. You know, you've got those big jackets on, and you're um, moving around we got quite sweaty and then I remember in the afternoon we went up this like massive church where you could get a view from across Berlin and there was a spiral staircase and uh, I was clambering up this spiral staircase with a rucksack with this luggage trying to dodge people coming the other way and when I got to the top could I enjoy the view at all no of course I couldn't, because I was absolutely exhausted from carrying this luggage up. I got so many strange looks from the other tourists that were there. And by the end of the day, I was absolutely uh, exhausted. And you know, for us, that's, I guess, a modern example of what a yoke might be. For, but for us, we carry around baggage, a modern-day equivalent of a yoke that is not ours to carry Stresses and anxieties, expectations, and I believe that Jesus wants to ha- us to hand over that baggage today so that we can find freedom. At the time of Jesus, many of the rabbis, like the Pharisees, passed on a yoke to the Jewish people that was absolutely crushing. Uh, There are 614 laws in the Torah already, but the religious leaders, these rabbis, had got into the habit of building multiple laws on top of laws that already existed. So take Sabbath observance, a law that was meant to bring life to God's people, and yet they managed to turn it into something that was crushing by building so many different laws into what they couldn't do. And so there was just this paralyzing anxiety about breaking it. So a severe and strict legalism left the Jewish people feeling like failures, utterly overwhelmed at everything that they had to do to please God. To them, God was constantly angry because they could never do enough. That was the yoke that they wore. And Jesus kind of got angry um, at the Pharisees for doing that. In Matthew 23, verse 4, he describes it this way. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Most of Jesus' anger was actually for the religious leaders that were um, putting this crushing burdens on the people. And so imagine what that did to their souls, how crushed their spirits must have been, that sense of discouragement that the Jewish people were living with at that time. And then Jesus comes along and says, actually, God isn't like that. God is like a loving father who comes running to us and wants to give good things to his children. God is like a loving shepherd that goes out and looks for his sheep. God is like a woman looking for a coin. And when he finds the coin, he rejoices. God rejoices you. Actually, God is really good. God is really kind. God is really gentle. God is really loving. And he starts to give teachings like the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and says it's actually not what we do on the outside that really matters. What matters is the condition of our hearts. 
And actually, all, all I want you to do really is two things. I want you to love God and I want you to love others. A whole new way of teaching was introduced. And Jesus starts to bring people into the center of this community. He's building the kingdom of God who had broken all these laws in, in very obvious ways. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. And he said, these people are the center of the kingdom. These people are going to be first in the kingdom of God. It must have blown their minds. And in all this, Jesus was bringing about his new yoke, this lighter yoke, a more joyful yoke. A peaceful yoke. And it's characterized by his life, the life we see of Jesus. Intimacy with the Father, and then as disciples following Jesus, and empowered by the Spirit. It's characterized by an experience of goodness, peace, and love in the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking he says. In other words, it's not a matter of following these religious laws, but it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and love in the Holy Spirit, that the experience of God's kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus he came to bring. And all this is behind that invitation to us in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will teach you a whole new way to live and think and be as you live with me and you follow me and you seek to do the things that I do and you help others do the same as you live out as my disciple. So a question this morning, what yoke might Jesus be inviting you to take off? Are there any expectations that we're living with that just come from ourselves or the culture around us, but not what God is asking of us. Maybe if we're honest, we feel burdened by the pressure of social media to look a certain way or to be a certain way. Maybe we've put expectations of ourselves at work to get to this promotion or this level for people to look at us and think, oh, aren't they impressive as we compare ourselves with others, expectations for ourselves as a parent, expectations to be able to do this, that and the other, to cram our lives with doing so that we look busy or impressive. Are there habits that we need to lay down and habits that we need to pick up as we seek to follow this yoke of Jesus and find more peace in our lives? One thing that I found helpful is the idea of putting your phone for a nap. don't know if you've come across this. Um, but actually, our phones are one of the things that cause anxiety most in our lives. They're uh, addictive. Um, and every time we get a, a message or we go on social media, we see something, we get a hit of dopamine, which is it's an addictive drug that, um, or chemical that comes about in our brains. And so it's hard to get off. But actually, research has shown that a lot of that causes anxiety. And so just having times where we're away from our phone can be incredibly helpful. And so you might just want to find a period in the day where you can afford just to put your phone for a nap and just simply be, not have to pick it up, check your emails, check social media, whatever it might be, but to be apart from your phone. And studies have been done, and the results are incredible in terms of the sense of people's well-being as they've had that separation from their phone for a little bit. 
And then in turn, maybe it's building in times um, when we can do things that we know refresh our soul, times of simply prayer and being with God, times to go for a walk, whatever um, you like to do that you know brings you life, art, uh, cookery, uh, you all know what it is. Is there something I can lay down, something I can pick up to enter more into this life with Jesus that he's inviting me into to help restore my soul? So that's the first image, the image of a yoke. And then the second is the kind of imagery of being a child of God. And um, it's an image that runs right through the Gospels and the New Testament. And I think the more that we learn to live as children of God, the more peace that we know. More peace becomes our, and joy becomes our kind of everyday experience. Uh, Just before this section in Matthew 11 verse 28, Uh, Jesus has been teaching the crowds on understanding the kingdom of God and receiving Jesus and uh, receiving himself. And uh, he even begins to name the places where people weren't repenting and responding to him. It's like their hearts were hard. And then at the end of this, he says this. So just a little bit before... um, what we just read a moment ago, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 26, he says this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus often points to children as an example for us of how to live life. And I think that's because of a child's generally joyful, humble open-hearted and trusting nature. And in a healthy kind of parent-child relationship, one of the things that a child can rely on is that their parents will provide. Their parents are going to do the heavy lifting so they can skip along and enjoy the present day or enjoy the present moment. And um, yesterday, Lydia and I, my wife and I, were giving the kids a bath And we were just saying how great it is in many ways to be a kid, especially when they're so young, because everything is done for them. It's it's a pretty great life. I mean, yesterday we went to um, the Science Museum in London to see some friends, but we take it from the very beginning of the day. We get them up. We get them changed. They come downstairs. Do they get their own breakfast? Of course not. We we put out the cereal for them. Uh, at the end of eating cereal, our youngest bee just likes to turn the Rice Krispies over. It all goes on the floor. Who clears it up? We do, of course. Um, we get them ready. We get on the tube. Who plans the journey? We do. Uh, we get them to the Science Museum. They have a great time. Uh, we actually went for lunch. Who fits the bill? Of course we do. We get them back home um, and then dinner is laid on for them. And so they just turn up, they have dinner, a nice bath is run for them, we get them changed, they get a story read to them and then they go to sleep. What an amazing life that is. And the thing is Tilly and B, they're never wondering where the food is going to come from or how they're going to do something, how they're going to get somewhere because they know it will just be covered. Mum and dad have got it. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to live with me. I want you to trust in my goodness and my provision. Listen to what Jesus says a few chapters earlier in Matthew 7. Which of you, if your son or daughter, we could say, asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, with your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, God is not magic. We need to pray and we need to ask and place things in his hands. But, you know, he's good. He wants us to live free, just as I want Tilly and B to be present in the moment, to be able to skip along and enjoy life and not worry about tomorrow. So many of our anxieties are about tomorrow. But actually, just as they know that tomorrow they don't need to worry because when they wake up, we'll be there and we'll have things covered in the same way. We don't need to worry about tomorrow because when we wake up tomorrow, we know that God will be there and he will look after us and so we can be present in the moment and I just wonder if there are a few people here that kind of a sense of provision is an anxiety whether that's a provision for a job or for finances or even anxiety about health or the future I just want to encourage us that we can trust God and just end with this little story. A few um, years ago when we were living in Ealing, uh, my wife was working as a doctor out in Guildford. And uh, our car broke down. It actually broke down on the M3 um, on the way um, back from Guildford. My wife was working at a hospital there. And um, it was on the outside lane of a motorway. So thankfully, a, a kind man managed to get uh, the car onto the hard shoulder. And I think somehow in first or second gear, we, Lydia managed to get home. And we even managed to sell it and we buy any car. Um, and we, I remember just praying that we could get this car into a gear so we could drive it up onto the, in, onto the car that would take van that would take the car away and that was the kind of test as to whether you could actually sell it if it would move it just moved um god was good but the extraordinary thing um about that week was the day before that happened a relative randomly out the blue gave us a gift gave us a check of money just as an act of generosity and so it meant that within a few days we could go and we were able to buy a new second-hand car so that lydia could actually get to work and for us it was just an amazing encouragement of God's provision that God knew what we need even before we knew we needed that God is a good good father he loves to provide for his children so I wonder what you might need God's provision for today it's an opportunity to ask him and so just as I finish imagine the difference this might make to our lives to live in this way easy and light, whatever we might be facing in our own lives, in our world. Imagine the difference it might make to those we do life with, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, our friends, to be a non-anxious presence in the world. Amen. Should we stand?